Welcome back, everyone, to 420Pod. 420Pod is presented by the 420 Clinic, a medical cannabis resource center in southern Alberta. The 420 Clinic acts as a liaison between patients and doctors, and also offers educational resources to anyone who wishes to learn more about the potential health benefits of proper cannabis use. You can visit us online at 420clinic.ca or follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. My name is Matthew Lundy. Today we're discussing the difference between legal and illegal cannabis. With recreational use coming to Canada in July 2018, the boundaries between what is legal and what is illegal is more blurred than ever. We're living in a very exciting time for cannabis. It feels as if the industry is truly coming out of the shadows. In many ways, it reminds me of stories I've heard about what it was like coming out of alcohol prohibition in the 1930s. During prohibition, everything had to be done underground. Liquor was made in bathtubs and poured into jugs with an XXX label on the side. I see that same pattern with how cannabis is grown underground. When I look at a Ziploc bag from a dealer, I picture that same XXX label on the side. I don't know what strain it is. I don't know potency levels. There's no cannabinoid profile. And I have no idea what effects to expect. Now picture walking into a high-end liquor store or craft brewery, then compare that selection with that old bottle of bathtub moonshine. Pretty extreme difference, right? And it won't be long before cannabis consumers get to make that same transition. Before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's discuss the difference between legalization and regulation. Let's use tomatoes as an example of a 100% legal product. You can grow as many tomato plants as you like. You can grow it in your backyard. And once you cultivate your crops, there's no limit on how many tomatoes you can carry at one time. Also, when something is legal, it's, and I'm talking totally 100% no strings attached legal, it doesn't need to be policed because there is nothing to enforce. There are no tomato police, there are no tomato bylaws, no lounges especially designated for tomato consumption. Anyone can grow and sell tomatoes. But that's not going to be the case with cannabis. With cannabis in Canada, what we're getting in 2018 is more like regulation than legalization. It's still technically legal, but there are many rules and limits that go along with that. So although you will be able to grow your own cannabis, it has to be grown indoors and you can only have four plants growing at a time. It will also be legal to possess cannabis, but no more than 30 grams at once. If cannabis were to be 100% legalized, anyone would be able to sell it, meaning that things like dispensary raids would be a thing of the past. But that's not the case. Even after July 2018, dispensaries that are not following the rules will still be subject to penalties for distributing untested and untaxed cannabis. These regulations aren't just for fun. Most come with a health and safety perspective. Regulations regarding cultivation ensure that we're growing a safe product free of contamination, while regulations regarding possession are meant to curb redistribution to minors. 
in Canada's case, we're seeing the cost of legalization is regulation. And when you think about it, regulation is truly the only thing that separates a black market from a legal market. For more insight, my guest today is the Vice President of Operations here at 420 Clinic, Mike Cato Tamayama, or Cato, as most of us call him. Here's a clip of my conversation with Cato on the differences between the legal and illegal markets here in Canada. I'd now like to introduce Mike Tamayama, or as we all know him, Cato. Welcome to the show, Cato. Hi, Matt. How are you? Great. So let's, Cato uh, is actually our Vice President of Operations here at 420 Clinic. Um, we got a few questions about legal versus illegal. We'll jump right into it. So Cato, as you know, all legal cannabis in Canada right now is purely medicinal, and it's all delivered through the mail. We sometimes refer to Canada Post as the nation's biggest drug dealer. What are some of the problems with delivering cannabis in the mail uh, in this way? Well, I think you have to look at the actual source of um, the initial um, regulations as to who can get cannabis. Um, the only legal way to get um, cannabis right now is to be a medical patient with um, an actual medical issue. They need to have a doctor's prescription. It cannot be a naturopath. Um, it cannot be a chiropractor. It needs to be um, a general practitioner. And once they have that prescription, they are set up with any of the currently almost 60 licensed producers in Canada. And um, once that occurs, they get their product through the mail. And that was set up initially as the only way or the only true avenue that these patients could um, receive cannabis. Um, the difficulty in it is that um, the way it was outlined as to how a, a licensed producer or LP can get that product to that patient is it needs to be in discrete brown packaging. Um, it needs to be in an odor-proof um, container and it is shipped to person's door. And that was Canada Post, as you mentioned, is, is the only way um, that it's legally allowed to happen. Uh, the difficulty is that um, the current illegal market um, that are involved with illegal online dispensaries and, and current illegal dispensaries in, in a number of provinces, um, they have basically um, been taught exactly how to send this product across Canada. And they do the exact same thing that a licensed producer does, which is they take the customer's order illegally. They take their product that is from an illegal supply and not from one of the regulated uh, licensed producers. And they put it in an orderless package. They put it in a discrete brown packing packaging and they mail it to unsuspecting uh, or suspecting um, consumers across Canada. And once it's in the mail, there's not a lot you can do because there's laws about um, going into that package, right? So once it's in the mail, it's kind of, you're right. I think Canada Post has taught the black market how to do this successfully. The other um, problem I see is you really don't know who's on the other end of that order. Actually, it gets to my next question, which is all about mm -hmm. Canadians being tricked into buying fake prescriptions. This is not only happening online, but in storefronts, we're seeing this as well. What is the impact for impact? Excuse me for customers who get fooled into buying a fake prescription. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, the fooled part is interesting because I think the market in the industry right now is so murky that um, very few uh, Canadians um, truly understand what's legal and what. Is, is illegal. And um, 
I think whenever they go to something online or walk into a dispensary, their feeling is that these businesses would not be operating if it was illegal. And so there's a bit of a leap of faith there when you walk into a place or order something online that someone is governing all this. And so what you're doing must be legal. And because it's not really disclosed on the websites and that you go through the entire purchasing procedure um, no different than you would in buying anything else online. And there's no real red flags that you see when you're doing this. So um, it's just, I guess, the ignorance of the rules and the laws and to understand that when somebody is giving you a medical card or giving you clearance to order medical um, cannabis, that's really not how the regulations in Canada work. You do need a legal prescription from a doctor. So when somebody says or sends you a medical card, you just assume that that's the way the system works. And so I don't think there's much, uh, many of those um, consumers that are even suspecting that what they're doing is illegal. Yeah, until they get pulled over perhaps. and then Possibly, or somebody notifies them or lets them know that. It's e- even difficult to believe at that stage that mm-hmm. you went through all of that and everything seemed legitimate. You filled out a bunch of forms online and they asked for a photograph of your driver's license that this seems relatively legitimate. And um, even I would say even the security measures put in when you go onto a a website where they ask you to make sure you're of age and they do all these precautionary things. Send us your ID. It it absolutely gives you a false sense that that everything is done legitimately. And and, um, if it's being done legitimately, it must be completely legal. Right. And we're seeing a lot of these gray market dispensaries actually being raided like in provinces like BC and Ontario. This is maybe confusing to some people who are thinking, why shut it down if it's going to be legal next year? What would you say to someone who has that kind of mentality? Well, and, and I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. And I think it's why the proliferation of black market is is out there right now. It's it's just very difficult to find the resources to shut down. And I think what's interesting is, you know, it's referred to very much as the gray market. Um, but the truth is, it's still exactly what uh, Justin Trudeau says. It's really still black and white. And I, I think what people don't realize is, is that if you are operating a dispensary and a consumer can walk into any location or dispensary in Canada and purchase product in person on the spot and walk out with it, it is a 100% illegal transaction. So that in itself is breaking a federal law, but it's the supply as well. And I think um, very few Canadian citizens, even politicians or law enforcement understand that this product is not coming from regulated government sources and and licensed producers this is all coming from black market supply yeah you're right fast forward a year they're still going to be breaking absolutely rules they're still not taxing or testing their Uh, an example is a dispensary operating in bc is breaking federal laws in a multitude of ways it's not just one way and i think um most of the general public is sympathetic to the you know the dispensaries saying well there are medical patients that we we take care of that if you raid us, they don't have their medicine. And and so I think it's quite sympathetic to the public to look and say, well, what's wrong with that? It's going to be legal in a year anyway. Why shut that dispensary down? Let them let them operate that way. But the truth is they're not covering that just that medical patient. They're covering the recreational market, which is technically not legal at this point. And, and they're using black market supply. They are not using regulated supply or tested tax supply. Right. And and I think I think that's what's the difficult thing when people just don't understand the differences to a point of why not let them operate. Right. 
one, one of the biggest differences between the legal and illegal market is strain selection. It's actually one of the biggest advantages to the legal market. Um, why is strain selection and variety important to consumers? Well, I think it's extremely important. Um, I think anybody who understands medical um, cannabis enough knows that a bag of weed is not a bag of weed. And that's not just from the recreational side. It also stands for the medical side as well as there needs to be that variety there because there's a different combinations of THC and CBD that can be effective for different medical issues. Um, and the same thing from a recreational point of view, the number of strains and, and the difference, especially to a cannabis connoisseur, is everything. It's mm-hmm. no different than walking into a liquor store or ordering liquor online and, and only having two different varietals of wine available. Right. It's almost the same thing. It's um, I think that variety needs to be there. Um, and again, we have a lot of patients who... Um, are disappointed often with the selection that certain licensed producers have on their um, online shelves at that mm-hmm. point. And, and a lot of them will go um, to the illegal um, online market because they find that a lot of dispensaries based out of uh, BC and Ontario uh, have a far greater selection, a very professional website, yes. and just a lot more choices. Yes. And so in a lot of ways, they get directed there because of a uh, variety and choice of strains. Absolutely. So when it comes to strains, we do have licensed producers in Canada, but there's also something called a licensed grower. What's the difference between a licensed producer and a licensed grower? Um, And this is where the gray market um, comes into play. Um, There are, as we mentioned, 60 licensed producers across Canada that are allowed to, um, you know, grow large amounts and large volumes of cannabis for the medical market. Um, There's also something called a licensed grower, which occurs from the original MMPR regulations, which allows a certain number of growers to grow legally for specific patients. Mm -hmm. Um, There are approximately 800 licensed growers in BC alone, and they are to grow for a specific number of patients. Um, But the truth is, um, regulations say that they need to destroy the excess product that they grow. And what they're doing, correct, what they're doing is they're growing far more than they're allowed to. And that is the product that is often supplying um, a lot of that illegal dispensary market in in BC and Ontario. You know, so that's that's the biggest difference. They're under the guise of something technically legal, but um, what they're doing um, with their extra product is not legal. Gets into my next question. There's actually currently no avenue for recreational use in Canada, but that's something that's being remedied because our plans to to regulate in July 2018 means that we're going to finally include the recreational market. So the big question many provinces are facing is: Should we go with a government model or a private model? Which one of these options would have the biggest impact on getting rid of the black market? Well, you know, I I think, and I'll I'll speak on the Alberta government to begin with, um, is they have a difficult decision ahead of them. Um, They've seen a couple other provinces come forward with uh, a a public or a government-run model. Um, They've done everything in their power, and and they've done some very um, good and astute moves, I think, in trying to eliminate the black market window. The first I would say would be age. Um, I'll bring that up first, is um, I I think the understanding, especially with everyone in the medical field, is there are some dangers um, of cannabis use in people before the age of 25 is, is, you know, commonly thrown around. Um, The thought process is 21 may be be the the best um, ethical and scientific age 
um, to have cannabis be legal. But I think when they've looked at the broad scheme of things and realized that, you know, roughly 30 to 35 percent of the market um, is is being purchased right now by by consumers that are 18 to 21, by making the age 21, they have left a window for the black market to target yes. and thrive mm-hmm. and proliferate. And by making the age 18, they've eliminated that small window. Right. Now, um, the difference, I think, the biggest difference, because we are under nine months till legalization right now, there's very little time um, for any of the governments to build the right number of stores. Mm-hmm. And the example I'll give you is the recent Ontario ruling where they are planning on roughly 40 dispensaries, government-owned, um, to supply 13 million people in Ontario, it works out to roughly one in 300,000 people um, or one dispensary per, per that number. And, you know, if, if you look at Alberta and, and recommendations that have been going um, with municipal governments and, and otherwise, you know, the thought process of somewhere in the one in 25,000 range is probably a, a better More figure to supply everybody. Um, the issue that I see with the with the private and the government run model is if they look at forty stores in in Alberta even um, servicing four point three million, it still isn't enough. And you know that window of opportunity for the black market still exists. And and I can tell you that um, those that have been dealing cannabis in Ontario are probably licking their chops because they're probably still good to go for a couple more years with that decision because there are still going to be far too much demand out there for cannabis that the even geographically the 40 stores can um, you know can possibly service so I would say yeah I mean if you go to a private model which allows the Alberta government to limit licenses or um, have roughly 200 to 250 uh, private dispensaries open by July 2018. That certainly services, cuts down the window of the black market a lot more mm-hmm. than 25 to 40 stores yes. that are being discussed right now for, for Alberta. So um, they've done all these little things to make sure that um, Justin Trudeau's mandate of trying to eliminate the black market uh, quickly and controlling um, from this government level if they're going to do their lengths of, of doing what they did with the age, I think they should also think about that when it comes to the pri- private or public model. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for your comments on that. That was very insightful. I think that's all I wanted to touch on. Is there anything else you wanted to add? I would say that, you know, um, you know, with the world watching us right now, uh, every move that Canada is making, um, I can honestly say that that Alberta has got the best chance of doing this 100% correctly. And I think all of us within our group and, and groups that we've talked to within this province are looking really for the same things as that, you know, we, we aren't proliferated with the black market here in Alberta. We've been able to keep this province very, very clean. And I think the steps and the time um, and the thoroughness the government is taking, I think, will um, ultimately uh, pay off very well for them. And and I think um, we have an opportunity to be the flagship province in this uh, country as far as doing things ethically the right way, legally the right way. And um, I can see hopefully something seamless in the future, you know, for this province. Excellent. So it's encouraging. Awesome, Keto. Thank you so much for joining us today, and uh, we hope we can get get you on again in the future. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. 
That wraps it up for another episode of 420Pod. Make sure you check out the 420 blog. You can link to that through our website. For an upcoming article on the differences between the legal and illegal markets here in Canada. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to subscribe and review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. For inquiries about the show, you can contact amber at 420clinic.ca. For everyone here at the 420 Clinic, this is Matthew Lundy, signing off.